Welcome to our show, Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I'm a psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. Each week, I'm joined by another therapist from the Anchor Light team to tackle important topics in mental health and psychotherapy. Our goal is to promote well being by normalizing mental health challenges. We are here holding ground for you every Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m. on KKNW. Hi, welcome to Holding Ground. I'm your host, psychotherapist Laura Richer. I'm the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today we are joined with a special guest, Denise Johnson. Denise is a marriage and family therapy master's level student. She's also a hypnotherapist and she's been a relationship and life coach. And so we're getting into some issues around relationships. And today's topic is, I think, a very good one. This is something that comes up quite a bit in marriage therapy or couples counseling, and that is confirmation bias. And so, Denise, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about confirmation bias and what that means? Yes. Well, I like to think of it as how what I think can actually get me in trouble. So it describes the tendency for us to interpret new evidence as confirmation of what we already believe. So for example, if I have this belief that left-handed individuals are creative, every time I come across a left-handed individual that's creative, I'm just going to affirm my belief. Now, if I come across a left-handed engineer, for example, I might downplay the fact that they're an engineer and sort of overemphasize that they like to doodle. Okay. So you're looking for that affirmation that what you believe is true and you can frame that. You start to look for that evidence. Exactly. So how does this show up in relationships? Yeah. So I first came across this term in, in the context of relationship from Esther Perel, who's fantastic. And she described how, you know, what I believe about my partner will absolutely shape my perception of them. So if I have this belief that my partner is always late, I'm going to be overemphasizing those times when he is late and completely discounting all the times he's on time. Mm -hmm. You could use this, I suppose, like in a positive way. You know, if you have this belief that your partner is very loving, you would naturally be looking for the evidence that verifies that belief. But, you know, research shows that our brain is wired for survival and it does tend to hold on to the negative. Yes. And I think you bring up such a great point is not only what you believe about your partner might play into this, but just what you believe about relationships and how relationships are are going to play out or what has happened to you in past relationships. You might be holding on to that and projecting that onto your current relationship and looking for what you believe to be true in this current circumstance. And the brain is wired to identify negativity. So more often than not, we're going to look for those negative things rather than the positive. Absolutely. Yeah. We tend to do a lot of projection. It just happens in our relationships. And because our brain is wired for survival, we do tend to hold on to the negative, you know, so if I went on a walk and it's a beautiful day, and I'm smelling all these wildflowers and, you know, I'm just feeling so good, but suddenly I'm startled by a bear mm-hmm. uh, down the road. I'm not going to remember anything about the bear. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm going to forget all the other details and be, that was the day that I was startled by the bear. So yeah, our brain tends to hold on to the negative and then we can absolutely project that onto our partners. And if it's left unchecked, it really can be very erosive to our relationships. 
So what does that look like in relationship? Obviously, if a bear is chasing us, we want to be hyper aware of that. But sometimes Mm -hmm. this ability to identify threats in our environment, I know, can actually create the opposite result than what we're wanting to create in our relationships. How, where do you see that when you do maybe couples therapy with people? Yeah, well, I think in general, when we have sort of a fixed bias or a fixed belief about our partner, you know, it's a problem on many levels. I mean, first of all, it it takes us out of curiosity, right? So we think we know our partners and we're not curious to continue to get to know them. And, you know, the reality is that we're changing all the time. It also um, tends to decrease empathy, which I think is a really important part of relationship is understanding your partner, seeking to understand where they're coming from, not just doing this sort of Uh, negative bias and character assassination, which we see a lot. Um, I think it's a way to kind of protect ourselves, really. But it it does lead to, you know, what the Gottmans call negative sentiment override. And do you find that that happens a lot with couples, that they're in that negative sentiment override? And how would you describe that? Yeah, so negative sentiment override is really interesting. It can show up anytime in a relationship. But what I see with the couples that I work with is often it's the couples that have been together for a long time who are dealing Mm -hmm. with negative sentiment override, meaning I've had enough negative experiences with my partner where I start to expect that. So just like you were saying with the confirmation bias, whether my partner responds in a negative way or not to what's happening currently, I might expect that they're going to. And so any behavior they have, I'm going to interpret as a negative uh, reaction. And in some way, you're helping create that that negative conflict or whatever you imagine are going to happen because you're showing up for that interaction, already expecting that it's going to be negative. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the way we share um, our you know, grievances, our hurts, absolutely predicts how our partner is going to be able to receive them. So if I'm critical, right, because I'm already coming from this sort of negative bias, um, it's going to be really hard for my partner to hear me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'm coming from anger and, you know, being very critical, mm-hmm. there's really two options. Your partner is going to either fight back or shut down. Yes. And so then, you know, when there is a lot of negative sentiment override present in a relationship, we start to see those behaviors and traits that uh, the Gottmans identify as the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, Mm -hmm. that just lead to ineffective communication. So like you said, if it's if my response is critical, you know, my partner is going to shut down or they might become defensive or they might become critical in return. And we're going to probably just get stuck in a loop of conflict that it's hard to break out of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, you know, there are ways to shift this. One of the first things I think is to really question your own thinking. I think that if you start to pay attention to your thoughts and question them, that can be helpful on many levels. Uh, You know, often we do tend to put the bias on our negative thoughts. We overemphasize the negative, as we mentioned before, because our brains are wired for survival. That's why things like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy are really helpful, both in relationships, but for the individuals, like really questioning, is this thought true? And if not, how can I reframe this? Or what's the evidence that, that challenges this thought? 
And what's the benefit of having this thought? What's the detriment to having this thought? So I think that's the first thing is to really kind of do some self inquiry around, you know, your thoughts and if they're really helping you or not. Yeah. And this can be really challenging. And this is also one of the benefits of maybe working with a therapist is sometimes our, our own biases are so deeply ingrained because maybe they're really Mm -hmm. rooted in, in actual experiences that were very traumatic and we're fearful of recreating those things in our lives. And so it's hard to even recognize our own bias because it might be something that actually has happened to us in the past or, or it's just so deeply rooted, we haven't even questioned whether there's another possibility. So therapy obviously can help working with a therapist can help you start to ask those questions because that can be challenging work to do on your own. Absolutely. That's so true. And then I think that if you are finding that you are having that negative sentiment override in your relationship, seeking out a couples therapist is so crucial. Um, And I think that within that context, there's a lot of things that um, a couples therapist can help you do in your relationship. I mean, they say that really a conversation, um, you know, how it starts in the first, say, three minutes is going to, you know, 95% of the time predict the outcome. Mm -hmm. So a gentle startup, which is another Gottman intervention, um, is super helpful. Have you have you, uh, you know, taught some of your clients the gentle startup or do you use it in your own relationship? Yes, absolutely. So we know that how the conversation starts is probably how it's going to end. So if it starts with criticism, there's not a great chance that it's going to end on a positive note. And so that is, yeah. (laughs) So that is something we work on in couples therapy quite a bit. And it's interesting is often people don't even realize that their approach to starting a conversation is perceived by their partner as conflict, like that as critical. So they think they're just asking a question when, when what their partner is hearing is a criticism. Have you come across that where people are kind of unaware of what they're projecting? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, in a session, it's so important to kind of slow it down Mm. and really begin to understand how, what's happening in, in the inner world of each person, because so much is just sort of skipped over. Um, And like you said, then creates that like negative loop. I know that I've even used it in my own relationship, the gentle startup and have found it to be very effective. Mm. Um, So example of that would be, you know, let's say I asked my partner to unload the dishwasher and they come home and it's not done. And so I'm irritated. Right. And so I, you know, I see him and right away I say, Hey, you forgot to unload the dishwasher. Boom. Not a good start. Right. He's most likely going to be defensive. And the reality is I have no idea why he didn't unload the dishwasher. It's possible that he had, you know, an emergency come up or Mm -hmm. some other thing that prevented him from doing that. So I'm just already in this open to the idea that my partner may have a a very good reason why he didn't unload the dishwasher. So a better way to start that is to first put yourself in the person's shoes. So I might say like, Hey, you know, I don't know if you've been really busy or you've probably been really busy. I know you have a lot of deadlines, but it'd be great if you could unload the dishwasher as soon as possible. So that just starts the whole conversation on a different footing. And in general, I would say if we can 
take our complaints and, and put them into a positive request, huge change can happen. So rather than complaining, just always think about what it is you're wanting and ask. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think that that is, that has such a profound impact because as human beings, typically, if somebody says, well, you didn't unload the dishwasher because you want me to do everything around here. So now we're telling them what their intent was. If our perception of their intent does not align with their perception of their intent, they are no longer listening to what you have to say. They're not going to hear any of your complaints, your concerns, any of your feelings. They're automatically going into a defensive place to, to counter what you've just said because it isn't, it isn't true for them. So exactly. that's, again, that gentle startup takes that out. You're not assuming intent. You're not telling someone why they're doing something or making assumptions. You're simply, you can even express dissatisfaction. You know, mm -hmm. hey, I'm, I was really disappointed the dishwasher wasn't unloaded because I was hoping um, to come home and start dinner right away. Even that gives your partner the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry. I meant to do it, but I got stuck on a long work call. You know, let's let me take care of it right now. There's just still more possibility exactly. there. Totally. That's a, that's a wonderful example of how to shift that. I think also it's important to really know what problem are you trying to solve? So is it really a logistical thing? Is it just like, okay, we need, we need to get the dishwasher empty, or is it starting to be a bigger problem that somehow these little things are adding up and you're not feeling appreciated or, you know, seen or respected. So if it's a bigger issue, then that's a whole nother conversation than just, Hey, I love the dishwasher. Does that make sense? Yes. Cause it typically isn't totally about the dishwasher. I mean, you might experience some slight irritation about one, you know, dishwasher event, but if you find that you're continually upset about, you know, a lot of different things, there's probably something underlying that that may need to be addressed and you might be aware of what that is and and you also may not and that might be something again that therapy conversations and therapy can help with or or even just sitting down with your partner and having some conversations around you know hey there's some tension between us what what's going on here exactly and being prepared to have that bigger conversation that's not a conversation that you bring up in passing you know it's like no i really need to check in on on these uh, things that are happening in our relationship. And, and if it, you don't get anywhere, if it's, you know, you guys still go head to head, then that's when it's a good time to look for a couple's therapy, I believe. Absolutely. And again, I love this topic of confirmation bias and starting to question our thoughts and what we're telling ourselves about our partners and our relationships, because it's interesting in a new relationship, we also lean into confirmation bias, but we do it with a positive mindset. You mm. like chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream. We must be meant to be together, right? Like that's the kind of yes. thing in a new relationship that we, we get really excited about. But as time goes on and we're more invested and we, you know, live life together and have some negative experiences together, it's very easy to take that bias and shift it, shift it over to the negative. And you might not even be aware that you're doing it. Yes. And I like that example you bring up about new relationships because we do project a lot. Mm -hmm. So if I've been, you know, looking for a partner, I want to have a partner so badly, then this person shows up and, and I'm like, oh, they like chocolate ice cream. They're the one, right? Yes. And then I'm ignoring all these other red flags. That's a great example of 
how confirmation bias can, can work in new relationships when you actually don't know the person very well. Yes. Yeah. So that brings up a great question. I want to get your take on when is it time to accept your partner's flaws and when is it time to walk away? That's, I think a lot of times people have trouble navigating, you know, is this my, is this my own bias and it's not real or is there really a problem here that isn't in my best interest to continue engaging with? That is a great question. And it, it, there's no simple answer to that. I think that knowing right away that nobody's perfect I love, um, you know, again, what Esther Perel says about relationships, which is if, if I'm late, it's because there was traffic and, you know, all these situational reasons. But if my partner's late, it's because they, they don't care. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think just, first of all, knowing that nobody's perfect, that we do all have flaws and, and there's a certain amount of just accepting each other that can be really important. I also think recognizing that some of these things are complimentary. Uh, you know, I'm going to be the person that always remembers to put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. Like no matter how many times I ask, it just is something that my husband just doesn't seem to remember. And if he was here, he'd probably say, you know, I keep reminding you to turn off the lights and you never do it when you leave a room. Right. So like, I just bring up those silly examples to say that, yeah, you don't want to be so nitpicky in a relationship that you're constantly complaining. You really have to go, okay, pick my battles here. But I think that a relationship should really enhance and contribute to your mental health. Of course, there's going to be conflict, um, but even conflict, if, if you know how to do the full conflict repair cycle, even conflict can actually add to your mental health. But if it starts to feel like this relationship is really eroding your mental health, that, you know, it's causing a lot of suffering, you don't know how to change it. There are more negatives than positives, you know, really, and and big ones, not just the small things, but the bigger ones, then you really do have to question if it's time to move on. And that can be really a painful decision to make. Um, And so even, even in that decision, couples therapy can be incredibly helpful. I don't know if you've ever had couples that have come in and, and it actually has helped them recognize that it's time to move on. I don't know. Have you helped any couple with that? Yes, I have. And the one thing with that, that can be really interesting is that, and I have even one couple in mind, I'm kind of thinking about that. No one was overly toxic in their behavior. No one was um, abusive towards the other one. What it really came down to is that there were two people that just had two different ways of wanting to be in relationship and wanting to live their lives. And neither of them were right or wrong. They just weren't compatible, but they had a lot of love and appreciation for each other. And so they kept kind of feel like they were like hitting their heads against a brick wall because they couldn't move forward in the relationship, but they were also having trouble ending it because they were looking for, I think, sometimes we want to look for someone to be the bad guy or like an, an, a really concrete reason why this should end. You know, there's been an infidelity or some type of abusive behavior. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it really just is that this person, uh, you know, you found someone that you just don't align with maybe in your values or how you want to live your life. And it, no one has to be the bad guy. You just are able to come to the conclusion that we don't work well together. I think when you've found the right relationship, you, you overall, 
not all the time, but maybe 80% of the time, you feel like having this person in your life makes it easier, that you feel like a better version of yourself because you're yes. with this person. You feel supported to maybe even accomplish more than you would on your own. If it's the opposite of that, where you're always fighting against each other and you it's energetically draining and you just feel exhausted, those can be some signs that you just might not be compatible with the person that you're with. I like that you said that you want your relationships to lead you to the better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. I think in general, you know, if we take on that attitude, we can actually use our relationships to really grow as an individual. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the Gottmans bring up is that it's actually really important to create fondness and admiration in your relationship. So it's, it's not enough to just not complain, it's actually really important to be grateful mm -hmm. um, and to notice the positive things and to draw those out and to verbalize them. And it's kind of the same thing within your own individual, you know, perception of your life. Like we all know that gratitude does lead to happiness, but it's very easy to get into a habit of seeing the negative and complaining. So when you start to think about how to make my relationship better, it's really also about improving myself. It starts with the self. Absolutely. And, you know, I think going back to the, some stuff with confirmation bias, it is very easy in a, a world where we have busy careers and families and busy lives to feel exhausted and to feel like you're the one who is doing everything and that your partner isn't doing anything. But I love that you mentioned gratitude and I am very guilty of this myself. I can come in the house and see that there's dishes in the sink and think, oh my gosh, I always am the one who does the dishes. And your brain goes to, my partner doesn't do anything. But if you really, you know, if I think about it, my partner does all kinds of things in our house that I never do, like take out the garbage or clean up after the dogs. So I think kind of doing that, you know, checking in on your own biases, checking in on what's really going on with you. Are you just exhausted because you're a new parent yes. or you're super busy at work? And are you projecting that onto your partner can be super helpful. Absolutely. And I think seeing uh, your relationship, seeing your partner as a team mate rather than fight against them. So yeah, that recognizing all that they do and that you're in this together is a great way of viewing a relationship that you're a team. I also think that expressing or thanking your partner is going to increase their motivation to mm -hmm. do more of what you're asking. Does that make sense? Yep. So if, if, you know, your partner does something that you really appreciate and you bring it to their attention, that's going to actually encourage them to do more of it. So you really can shape your relationship in many ways. You know, it's sort of like what we focus on does tend to expand, can be applied to relationships as well. Absolutely. And I don't know who said this, but somebody, maybe it was a famous therapist or try to catch your partner doing something right. It's very easy to catch people doing things that are bothering you, but can you catch them doing something right and find some appreciation for that? Maybe they make your coffee for you every morning and you've, you've kind of quit noticing it because they do it all the time, or maybe they always, you know, take out the garbage, whatever it is, like, see if you can't start to focus in on those things. Absolutely. And verbalize your appreciation and fondness as well. Right. Like I have a lot of, uh, couples that, you know, one person, their love language is words of affirmation. And as we get into the session and we start to uncover that they have different love languages, you know, the partner that 
that is not their love language might say, well, I'm thinking all these things. I think how beautiful she looks or, you know, so, but I just don't verbalize it. Well, actually it's really helpful if we do continue to verbalize those things, Mm -hmm. not just in the beginning of a relationship or like you said, you know, we're flooded with those uh, new relationship hormones, but to actually continue to cultivate that admiration throughout the relationship is going to lead to a more successful relationship. Yeah. And don't just operate under the assumption that your partner knows. I've heard couples say that who've been together for long periods of time. Well, we've been together for 30 years. They should know that I love them. Why do I have to say it out loud? Well, because it makes them feel good. It deepens your connection. They're going to feel more fondness and appreciation for you when you're appreciating them. Absolutely. And Again, that's why relationships can lead to a lot of growth because often I see that, you know, the reason why a particular person might struggle with some of that stuff in their relationship is because maybe they grew up in a family where nobody recognized each other in that way. And so they have, you know, these memories that kind of inform their present relationships and yeah, and so as you as you start to uncover those things and you can really be more intentional about your relationship, you start to heal your childhood as well. Oh, and that is going to that's a whole nother show. So I hope that you will join me here so that again so we can get into that because confirmation bias, a lot of that is rooted in our own childhood experiences in the relationship that we had with our parents or in our early romantic relationships. And sometimes we're projecting that onto our current relationship when it really, in fact, is not relevant. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I both have done hypnotherapy, so we know the power of the subconscious mind. Yes. Yes. Especially in those, yeah, those formative years, um, you know, it kind of puts an imprint on us and then that does really impact our beliefs and can create bias. Absolutely. And that we're not even aware of that is the power of the subconscious is that sometimes it's influencing us in ways that we, we aren't even aware of, but we're projecting it outward. So all Mm -hmm. great things to address in therapy. I can't believe it, Denise, but we're already out of time for today. Uh, Before we go, I just was wondering if maybe you could give our listeners three tips of what they could do to check in about their own confirmation bias, maybe some work that they could do at home to see where that's showing up in their relationships. Yeah, great question. The first step is noticing your own thoughts. So, you know, maybe getting out a piece of paper and, and being a little more intentional about your awareness around your thinking. Um, And just write them on a piece of paper and then you can really question them. Like, is this, if, you know, I always do this. Well, first of all, always and never. Or never true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or usually. Yeah. Um, And, and then, you know, so that's a really good first step. And then you can start to kind of reframe some of those thoughts. The other one is, um, you know, those gentle startups that we mentioned, um, to just look at your own, uh, ways that you communicate and, and improving on those communication skills, um, will improve your relationship. Um, and then the other thing is just to be aware of your feelings, you know, really to, um, check in with yourself so that it's not like, where you just bubble up and explode, but that you, you're aware um, of what you're feeling and that you take some time um, to do some self-care, I think is really important. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you for that, Denise. Um, I hope that our listeners enjoyed this show and that that gives them a little something to work with during the week. So we're out of time for today. We'll see you here next Tuesday on Holding Ground. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning into Holding Ground. You can hear us here every Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m. on KKNW. I'm Laura Richard, Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. And we'll see you next week.